So we're on page 35. This is the third duty of brotherhood that concerns the tongue. And we are doing the first set of rites like that, which is the right that our brother has over us, that our tongue should be silent. This is the third indented paragraph from the top, or the second to last one from the bottom. Keep silent from criticism of his dear ones. You should not criticize your fellow Muslims' dear ones, which means his family and his children. You should not critique his wife in front of him, his children in front of him. Also from relating other people's criticism of him. If somebody else has criticized him to you, you should not broadcast that onward. Nor should you relay it back to him. You should not relay it onward, nor should you relay it back to him. But it is your informant who directly abuses you. What happens is, is that here, uh, Imam Ghazali is pointing out that, uh, how can you put this, that if there's a person has a particular flaw, and somebody informs you about that person's flaw, so he's your informant, right? If you go and relay that back to him, so that person made a mistake, he shouldn't have told you about his flaw. When you go relay it back to him, it's a good chance he's going to go to the informant, the mukhbir, the one who told you about it, and he's going to get upset at him, so now he's also going to curse you. <laughs> so you're going to actually violate his right, even though he did something wrong, the informant, his right over you is that you should also be silent, you shouldn't compound that wrong by returning it back to that person. And that person's first himself is right with you that you shouldn't relay back his criticism, criticism that others made of him, lest it should hurt him. Sayyidina Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that Sayyidina Rasulullah said never faced anyone with something displeasing to him. Never confronted. It means, and I said, you're going through this, the translation needs to be improved in several points. Never confronted anyone with something displeasing to them. For the hurt comes immediately from the informant and only directly from the original speaker. What does it mean? That the messenger is the one who is conveying the message. Even though somebody else spoke those harsh words, but you're the one who conveys it. You are the first and foremost. You are the source of hurt. Because you are the bearer of the bad news. Of course you should not hide any praise you may hear. On the other hand, now here's one example now where you shouldn't be silent. That if somebody else praise that person, then you can also praise that person to others. In their absence, for example, that oh I heard that so and so is mashallah is honest, or so and so is mashallah is sincere, or so and so is mashallah is doing this khidmat. So we should make that more of a habit on our tongues to make it a point to mention and to praise the good qualities of other people. And if somebody else has praised that person to you in their absence, for you to relay it back to them, that is fine. But the pleasure in it is received directly from the conveyor of the compliment as well as indirectly from the original source. Bilawasata from the person who is conveying it and Bilawasata from the person who originally said it. So concealment here would mean envy. What does it mean? So somebody praised, let's say, somebody praised, one of your professors praised a student when the student wasn't there. Now if you don't share it with that student, there's a chance that the reason you don't share it is because of hasad. You're upset. Why did the professor praise him? He should have praised me. <laughs> I'm upset. Why does the professor like him? He should like me. So to make sure a person doesn't feel that envy, then you should relay that praise onto the other. So in short, you should keep silence about any speech unpleasant to him in general, and in particular, unless obliged to speak out to promote good and prevent evil. This is Amr bil Maruf wa Nahi al Munka. What does this mean? Now, if somebody is doing something that is wrong, and that they are involving other people in that sin, 
then you have to speak out. Or if somebody does sin, a sin sometimes publicly, and is publicly inviting people to sin. So Imam al-Nawirimullah in his commentary in the Sahih of Muslim in one place has mentioned this in detail. That if a person is doing a sin publicly and inviting people to sin publicly, then you should try first to speak to that person individually to get him to desist from that sin, refrain from that sin. But if he doesn't, then you must address it publicly. But you must first try privately. This is a mistake also some people make. They don't go first privately. They immediately go straight to the public refutation. So that is an example of Nahi al-Munkar and Amr al-Maruf. And even then, only if you can find no valid excuse for saying nothing. In other words, if you could find a way to do that, Amr al-Maruf and Nahi al-Munkar, without exposing your sin, then you should do that. But if there is no other way to do it, if there is no other choice, then you can do it as in the case of last resort. And in such cases, you need not worry about his disapproval, since what you do is actually beneficial to him when rightly understood, even if it looks bad at first sight. Right? And this happens sometimes, that sometimes you actually are trying to benefit someone in a way that Allah Ta'ala wants you to benefit them, but they may view it as harming them. Okay? As for mentioning his misdeeds and faults and the misdeeds of his family, this is slander and unlawful in respect of every Muslim, and two things should turn you away from it. Two things that you should think about which will make you stop doing that. Number one, first examine your own condition, and if you find therein in your own condition one or any blameworthy thing, then be tolerant of what you see in your own brother, and as if you may find something critical in him, there may be some things that are critical in you. And have you broadcast your own sins to the public? Before you broadcast his sins to the public, you should first think, have I broadcast my own sins and mistakes to the public? And everyone will say, no, I've never done that. I've never sat on the member and critiqued myself. Right? I've not done that yet. So how can you sit on the member and critique somebody else when you haven't critiqued your own self yet? It may be that he is unable to control himself on that particular characteristic and maybe he needs help. Maybe he has some uncontrollable feeling. Just as you yourself are impotent in the face of your own difficulty, just like you have not been able to fix yourself, he may be exactly like you, he's also unable to fix himself. So do not be too heavy on him on account of one blameworthy trait. What man is there who is completely upright? Wherever you find yourself lacking in your duty to Allah, do not expect as much from your brother in his duty to you, for your right over him is not greater than Allah's right over you. What does it mean? So if we ourselves are lacking in our duties to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we leave something unfulfilled. But at the same time, we want that creation should not leave anything unfulfilled with us. That they should fulfill all the rights that we have over them. That they should fulfill all the rights that are due to us. When we ourselves cannot fulfill all the rights that Allah ta'ala has over us. When we ourselves cannot fulfill all the rights that are due to Allah ta'ala from us. Number second. You know that you were, you know that were you to seek for someone free of all blemish, you would exhaust the entire creation without ever finding a companion. If you were to look for a flawless, that's only anbiya or masum. There is no ghair nabi can be masum. So if you were to insist, for example, what we were mentioning earlier this morning to Allah Taala said in Quran, "Kunu ma'asadikin," that you must associate yourself and join your being with those who are truer to Allah Subhanahu Taala. If you say, "I'm only going to do that with a person who is absolutely flawless." So you can scour the whole earth, you can travel the whole creation, you will never find somebody like that. Last person like that 
was Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Second to last person like that was Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. Right? That is Anbiyan Mursalim. That's why Allah Ta'ala didn't say in Quran, Kunum an That's not a hukum we could even carry anymore. Right? Do it anyway, because the Anbiya are no longer around. Allah Ta'ala said, Kunum Sadiqin. So for there is not one human being who does not have both good qualities and bad qualities. But if the good outweighs the bad, then that is the most it can be hoped for. The noble believer always keeps him, keeps present in himself the good qualities of his brother. This is what we call positive thinking. Husnidhan. Husnidhan. And what do we do with the opposite? Su'idhan. Su'idhan. Arabic. Badgumani. Urdu. Negative thinking. English. Always fault finding. Critical thinking. Looking and examining and noticing the faults of a person. That's the way we are with others. person may have 99 attributes. They have one fault. We will notice their one fault. So no, a person shouldn't do that. We should always keep present in our heart the good qualities of our fellow brother so that his heart may be the source of honor, affection and respect for that fellow. As for the hypocrite of lower character, so what, how is Imam Buzai calling the person of low adab? He's a munafiq. He's always noticing misdeeds and fault. Now what is the nifaq there? The nifaq is that he should have looked for his own misdeeds and looked for the good qualities of the other. Instead, he worked it the other way around. He notices the faults of the other person and he notices his own good deeds. Especially when does this happen? If he finds one thing in which he is better than that person. Then that is the only thing he will notice about that person. So let's say he is better in Tajweed than that person. But that's the only thing he will notice about that person is that his tajweed is not as good as mine. That's the only thing he knows about that person. And the only thing he notices about himself is my tajweed is better than his. It's the only thing he notices. Allahu <laughs> Akbar. Ajib. So, Abdullah ibn Mubarak, ta'ala, one of the great Tabai Tabi'in, one of the great muhadd- earliest muhaddithin. And in fact, some people have mentioned that of all of the people who have been praised in the science of Ilm al no, uh, in the science of uh, commenting and evaluating the narratives of hadith, nobody has been praised as much by as many hadith scholars as Abdullah ibn Mubarak. Some had the seen of that opinion. So what did he say? So and this means that that person who has the whole sunnah in front of him, when they speak, when these muhaddisin speak, it means something. Because there are people who have an understanding, overview, and also detailed understanding of the sunnah. Right? So he said that the believer tries to find excuses for others while the hypocrite looks out for the mistakes of others. <laughs> Hypocrite looks out for the mistakes of others. So I'll tell you from our experience you will get sometimes one person in the audience they're just listening and they want to hear anything that can help them. And they want to hear whatever word is Nasiya for them. Then you get another member of the audience they're listening but they're just waiting for you to slip up. They're waiting for that one mistake. And when they find that one mistake or one slip up or one thing that they felt they could have said better or done better, but then they're also happy. <laughs> they also enjoyed the lecture. They got what they were looking for. They found the one thing, right? Al-Fudayl ibn Iyad. This is the person who Imam ibn Taymiyyah, Imam Latanus Fatah ibn Taymiyyah has written about Fudayl ibn Iyad. Min a'immatul huda wa mashayikh al-Islam. Allah Akbar. From the Imams of Guidance and from the Sheikhs of the Deen of Islam, Fuzail ibn Yas. What did he say? Manliness 
Actually, this is not a good trend. This is Muruwa. Muruwa means, uh, sometimes in English they call chivalry. Politeness, proper manner and decorum. Is pardoning, forgiving the slips and mistakes of one's fellow believers. Is to forgive and overlook the mistakes of one's fellow believers. Not to seek them, pounce on them, focus on them, and exclusively broadcast them. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah said, Ajeeb, seek refuge with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the bad neighbor who sees some good but conceals it and sees some bad and reveals it. Allahu <laughs> Akbar. Yes? You have a neighbor flat opposite you. huh? They may see a hundred good things about you. They will never tell anyone. The day they see one bad thing about you, they will start telling it to everyone. Oh, my neighbor is like this. My neighbor is like that. Ajeeb. So what did Prophet say? Seek refuge in Allah from such a person. From the bad neighbor who sees some good but he conceals it and sees some bad and reveals it. There is no one at all whose condition cannot be improved in some respects or made worse in some respects. What does that mean? Here Imam Ghazayata is reminding every single person's behavior, character, adab and akhlaq is subject to change. Nobody is absolutely set in their ways. We may be stubborn, but we're not locked into it. Everyone has the possibility to improve, and everyone also has the possibility to become worse. It's up to us which direction you want to steer, the car of your life. If we want, we can improve ourselves. And don't underestimate power of deen to improve us. I'll give an example. Many times people make this mistake and they say, no, I can't change myself. That's just the way I am. <laughs> right? Say, That's just the way I am. I can't do anything about it. So let's say, for example, anger. So one person will say, that's just the way I am. I'm angry. What can I do? I get excited. I get irritated. I get angry very quickly. So no. That may be the way you are. Accept it. Acknowledge it that the way you are right now is that yet you are easily made angry. But can you change that? Yes, definitely you can change it. Why? Because there is one thing that has more power than the way you are and that is called the power of the deen of Islam. That is the power of deen. That if you submit yourself to deen, you will be able to change the way you are. And if you don't submit yourself to deen, yes, then you are hopeless. You will be stuck the way you are. This is what is called Mukhalafat nafs and Mujahadat nafs Mukhalafat nafs means to go against the nafs. nafsa anil hawa they go against, they stop the nafs from fulfilling its unlawful desire. You can do it. Allah Ta'ala has not commanded us in the Quran to do anything that we're not able to do. And mujahadat to nafs means to make our nafs, force our nafs sometimes to do obedience. Like wrench yourself out of bed for fajr. Force yourself. Yes, that is the way you are. I'm a sleepyhead. That's just the way I am. Yes, I accept it. That is the way you are. <laughs> but if you could let your heart feel as salatu khairam min an you could change yourself. You could change yourself. That's what Imam Ghazayatah is mentioning. And he has a whole separate book, Kitab Riyadat al-Nafs in Ihal al where he talks beautifully about this whole concept of change and how a person can change their character. How a person can go about changing their character. <laughs> then Imam Ghazayatah, tradition tells how a certain person praised another person, certain sahaba praised another sahaba in the presence of Sayyidina Rasulullah some one day and then blamed him, censored him the very next day. So Sayyidina said that you praise him one day and blame him the next day. So the Sahabas found that yesterday I told the truth about him. And today also I'm telling the truth. I mean, today I did not lie about him. He pleased me yesterday so I told the best I knew of him. 
He angered me today. I was upset with him today, so I spoke the worst thing I knew of him today. Allah Akbar. Ajeeb. So to this Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam inna min al-bayani al-sihr. This is the context of that hadith. Uh, so he's translated, reason, argument can be sorcery. Here, inna min al-bayani al-sihr. That it means, look at the beautiful way this person has uh, justified their act. That's what the Muslim is saying. Look at the way he's explaining it. But no, I was pleased with him that yesterday, so I said good thing about him. And today I was kind of upset with him, so I said a bad thing about him. Sounds like perfect logic. So the Prophet says, no, sometimes logic. This is very important, especially for us in this sort of modern, rational, scientific, logical age. Logic can be misleading. The logical conclusion is not always the shari conclusion. <laughs> the logical conclusion is not always what Allah Ta'ala wants. Sometimes you have to go even beyond logic. That's what Allah Ta'ala wants. To go even beyond the dictates of logic. That's called what is Abdul Ahsan, Awla, Athar, Aska. To be more noble, more better, more pure, more virtuous, more excellent than the dictates of logic would suggest. What did the deen say? The deen would have actually said that the day he pleased you, you should have said something good about him. And the day he was upsetting to you, you should have said something even better about him. <laughs> you should have said something even better about him. That's what deen would say. So, Sayyidina Rasulullah some say Imam Ghazali comments that Sayyidina Rasulullah evidently, apparently, it's clear that he was disproving of this statement because he likened it to associated tashbih. That is like Lasihar, Lam is here for Tashbif, Lasihar, it's like sorcery, magic, this is unlawful. Thus he said another hadith, abuse and argumentation are twin branches of Difaq. That a person abuses someone, says foul words, foul language about someone, or they engage in argumentation, disputation, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala disapproves of argumentation for you. <laughs> Imam al-Shafi ta'ala, I don't think he needs any introduction, one of the greatest of the Tabai Tabin, that there is not one Muslim who obeys Allah SWT without ever transgressing against him, nor is there one who transgresses against him without ever obeying him. What is he saying? Imam Shafi is saying that if a person is a mu'min, there is no way that they always disobey. There must always be at least some obedience in their life. And similar in the other way, if there is a mu'min who obeys Allah Ta'ala, there can be no way that they always obey there must have been some disobedience in their life. But then Imam Shatta said, but if a man's obedience outweighs his disobedience, then he is from the Salihin. Again, now Imam Shafi'i is Sahib Sunnah. He's a person who has understanding of tafakkur fi deen. So when they speak, they're speaking not on the basis of just one hadith, or ten hadith, or hundred hadith, or three hundred hadith, like today's speakers. They're speaking on the basis of deep knowledge of entire Quran, entire Sunnah. That's why they're quoted. That's why their words are quoted. That's why Imam al and all of the medieval scholars used to quote the early scholars. Used to quote the early scholars. <laughs> so such a man, Imam al then comments on this, that if such a man be accounted righteous in his duty to Allah SWT, then how much more should you consider that if he's viewed as salihin in the law, if he's righteous in the eyes of Allah SWT, then how much more should you consider that you should view him as salihin in regards to you? and the obligation of brotherhood to you. Just as it is incumbent upon you to hold your tongue from mentioning his misdeeds, so ought you to observe silence in your heart. What does that mean? 
that not only should you not speak badly about the person, you should not feel badly about the person. This is bogus. person has ill will, malice, spite, hatred, resentment, envy, jealousy. These are all feelings. person may say, okay, I don't say anything in my tongue. I didn't do anything. You walk past me and I grit my teeth. I bit my tongue. Or they said, not to say in English, smiling on the outside, boiling on the inside. Oh, Lord. Huh? Smiling on the outside, boiling on the inside. Yes? They're saying no? <laughs> smiling on the outside and smiling on the inside. <laughs> How? This is done by giving up suspicions. The same thing Su is on. Shak, etraz, tankid, many words for this in Arabic. Means the negative thinking, doubt, skepticism, criticism, fault finding. They have to give that up. Why? Because that constitutes the namima, slander of the heart. One is to slander someone with your tongue, and one is to slander someone with your heart. And sometimes we've done this. Some of you may have felt in your life, maybe remember had an experience like this, that inside your heart you got upset with someone because you thought they did something. Later on you found that you didn't do it. You didn't say anything. But in your heart you felt upset. In your heart you looked down on them. And then later you found out that they actually didn't do whatever it was that was making your heart look down on them. Then you felt ashamed of yourself. And then you have to make a stick far and over that. Yell for that period in my heart I had bad feelings towards that person. And they actually didn't even merit that. They didn't even were undeserving of that bad feeling. <laughs> we keep within the bounds by not putting a bad construction on his action. Again, this is not a very bad translation. It means do not give a bad thought beer, do not interpret his actions in a negative way. So for example, Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu taught us in Hadith that you should make 70 excuses for your fellow Muslim. And the Fuqaha, Imam Shafi, Imam Nifa, both, they took this even when a person said Kalimati Kufr, when a person outwardly made a statement that if you took it under the Zahir, if you took it as outward, apparent, external, literal meaning, it would constitute unbelief. They said, try a way to interpret it. Take it metaphorically. Save that person from having kufa. Treat him as if he has said that statement metaphorically. So as long as you can see it in a good light. As for what is revealed unmistakably and before your very eyes, so that it is impossible for you not to know about it, you should, if possible, ascribe what you witness to absent-mindedness and forgetfulness. So what does this mean? That would know you saw it it's not your suspicion, right? You saw him do that sin. You witnessed him. So now, instead of thinking that, okay, he did that sin because he's a sinner and condemning him in your heart, no. You should say he did that sin because he had a lapse. He slipped. He was afflicted with this illness called ghafla. He forgot Allah SWT. And that was some special thing that came on him. Otherwise, normally he must be remembering Allah SWT. Normally he must not slip. I happen to witness him in a momentary lapse of taqwa. <laughs> Not that you condemn him and think that, okay, he must be doing this sin a hundred times a day. I happen to catch him once. Not like that. Suspicion is formed in two ways. Where does this shak, this su'izan, badgumani, kina, in Urdu, where does this come from? First, by what is called perception, which rests on some type of outward sign. So what happens? So first the person does that act. Then there is your perception of that act then your perception of that heart creates a prejudice and bias in your heart. Uh, perception of that act creates a prejudice and bias in your heart. So this causes a necessary movement of the thinking which cannot be set aside. This is what I was trying to explain to you. Again, not proper translation. The prejudice and bias. 
that arises inside of you because of your perception of that act. Second, there's that which arises from your prejudice against someone. This is the whole thing worked the other way around. First cycle was first act. He does the act. Your perception of the act and result is prejudice. The other way is first you already had prejudice. <laughs> first you had prejudice. That affected your perception of him. <laughs> that made you view that person's act in a certain way. So there emanates from him some act, which means he does something. Right? He does some act, which could be taken in either of two ways. Right? But because you had prejudice already, your prejudice led you to perceive that act in the negative way. This is the other way around. So, but your prejudice against him causes you to settle for the worst interpretation, even though there is no outward sign to justify it. This is the fence against him in the inner. So, let me give you an example. That, uh, okay, you happen to be sitting in masjid, and you let's say you come for this class, and then you see that somebody, they're praying long salah. In your mind, what do you think is you, and you don't like that person already. So, you already have the prejudice. So you make su is on what? You say that, oh, he's praying long salah because everybody is here watching. I say that was not the outward, there's no, nothing to justify that. Nothing outward, there's no outward sign of that, no proof of that. But because you already have prejudice against him, you're harboring ill will, resentment, bad feelings from in your heart. That is your reading of that. That is your reading of that. Right? So this is an offense against your fellow believer, your brother, in the batin, inward. You didn't say anything with the tongue. But you are actually violating his rights by feeling these feelings in your heart. And that is also, Imam Azali says, something unlawful in respect of every believer. Because Sayyidina Rasulullah said in a hadith that Allah Ta'ala has forbidden one believer to hurt, temper, means violate actually, the blood, <coughs> property, or honor, right, of another believer, or to hold a bad suspicion about them, to harbor bad thoughts or ill feelings about them. Also, Sayyidina Rasulullah taught us that beware of suspicion, for suspicion is the most untruthful report, and suspicion leads to prying and spying. And then do not spy, I did this with you earlier, and do not pry, do not sever relationships, and do not fall out, but serve Allah as brethren in the deen. Prying consists in listening to rumors, <coughs> spying, and visual observation. Alright. Concealing faults, feigning ignorance of them, and overlooking them, this is the mark of the people of Deen. So here three things are being mentioned. The first is Satr. To hide a person's faults when you come to know them. And this is actually Allah Ta'ala's attribute. He is a Sattar. He is the one who veils and conceals and shrouds all of our faults. And this is Hadith. The Prophet some said that that person who hides the faults of their fellow believer, Allah Ta'ala will hide their fault for them on the Day of Judgment. Right? How many of us want Allah Ta'ala to hide our faults on the Day of Judgment from Sayyidina Rasulullah as example? All of us, none of us would want that Sayyidina Rasulullah would see the things that we used to do or even the feelings we used to feel. The feelings we used to feel. So we should hide it. Hide this person's fault. Feign ignorance of them that we already did if somebody confronts you act as if you don't know and overlook them and you yourself should forgive them. You yourself should forgive them. You have sufficient notice of the perfect degree in concealing what is ugly and revealing what is good and that Allah subhanahu is so qualified in the prayer where it is said, O thou who revealest the beautiful and concealest the ugly. And this is a dua that people used to call upon Allah subhanahu that Allah ta'ala kashif, he opens up the goodness in people 
and he hides the uh, vices and the sins in people. So that means that if we that's a praiseworthy attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so we should also be the same way. What is desirable in Allah Ta'ala said is that we model our character after his, for he is the veiler against Satan and Zanub, he is the veiler of faults, forgiver of sins, Ghafir al Zanub, and indulgent towards his creatures. So how can you fail to be indulgent of how can you fail to be forgiving towards one who is your equal or even your superior, but in no way your slave or your creature? Now this is another interesting thing that Imam Ghazayatlay does that sometimes he quotes Sayyidina Isa salam. These are known in uh Ilm of Deen as Israeliyat. These are reports that reach the Muslims, right, from the Arabic texts of let's say the Injil or the Gospel at that time. And different Mufassirun had different views about what to what extent to use them. Imam Ibn Taymiyyah in Usul of Tafsir has mentioned in detail the different positions about the Israeliyat. But basically, the nutshell of that discussion is that one can use it as long as it doesn't go against anything that is established in Quran and Sunnah. Plus, also, it seems to corroborate or confirm some general teaching that is already found in Quran and Sunnah. And this is done to show the link that all of the Anbiya actually brought in essence the same deen. They brought different Sharia, right? But they brought the same deen. And especially you find that when it comes to Adab and Akhlaq, right? All of the Anbiya and Mursaleen were teaching the highest level of Adab and Akhlaq. So Sayyidina Isa said to the Huwariyun, so that you can translate in English as disciples if you want, how do you act when you see a brother sleeping and the wind blows off his clothes? This maybe must be some different type of clothing. Another type that where maybe actually this can happen. Some of the brothers we noticed on Umrah and Hajj they have difficulty with ihram because they've been spoiled up in the West. They have no idea how to wear these clothes. It's always falling down from them, the top one, right? So maybe the poor fellow is sleeping there and did not know how to tie the ihram properly. And a gust of wind came. So what did they say? So obviously this is not literally because there's no ihram from the Hawariyun. So we screen him and we cover him. We quickly go and pick up the clothes and put them back on him. Right? Or rather, rather do you lay... So the Sayyidina responded that no, no, do you expose him even further? You turn him over and expose him even further. Let's put it that way. So they say, glory be to subhanAllah. Who would do such a thing? <laughs> who would do such a thing? So then he explained to them that look, when one of you listens to gossip about his brother and then adds it and then passes it on further exaggerated. So in Urdu you say, Nigas would say that listen to something and they spice it up <laughs> and they send it onward. That's what you did? That the clothes were blown off of him and you even exposed him even further. We shouldn't do that. You must know that a man's belief is incomplete, so that is that hadith we did for you earlier, so long as he does not wish for his brother what he wishes for himself, his fellow Muslim, what he or she wishes for him or herself. The lowest degree in this fellow Muslimhood is where you treat your fellow Muslim as you would wish to be treated yourself. Look at our deen. For the rest, this is the golden rule. This is the highest level of attainment that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is their climax. And with Imam Ghazdainat, they're saying, this is the lowest level, this is the beginning, that you should treat others as you would wish them to treat you. Oh, Akbar. Ji? So this is what we call sometimes, you can call this 
uh, in the Rajan Nahaya Fil Bidaya that their end is actually our beginning. <laughs> their end is the golden rule. So Imam Allah says the lowest degree that you treat your brothers you'd wish to be treated yourself and there's no doubt that he would expect you. So how would you wish to be treated? There's no doubt that he would expect you to veil his shame and keep quiet about his misdeeds, his mistake, his faults. Another interesting thing here, Imam Allah give another interesting shot. That sin is actually a person's lilla. Actually a person's shame. So when you reveal his sin, when you broadcast his sin, you're actually broadcasting his lilla. And that's not our job. Allah Ta'ala is Al-Mu'idh and He is Al-Mu'dhil. Allah Ta'ala, that's one of His attributes, His sifat. He is the one who can cause shame and disgrace and downfall to a person. May Allah Ta'ala save all of us from such a downfall. Right? But that's His attribute. It's not ours. It's not our role in life to bring a person into disgrace or shame or exposure or embarrassment. Okay. If shown the opposite of what he expected, he would be very annoyed and angry. Because he expects from you that you wouldn't dishonor him. And if he learns that this is what you do, he would be very disappointed, very hurt, and also very angry. <coughs> How unworthy then, if he were to expect what he himself would not conceive and intend. So as if you expect the same from him, but you have no intention of doing it for him, that would be very unworthy of you. Woe to him then in the words of Quran al-Karim. So this is wail. This word woe, it's a good way to translate this word wail. Wail means woe befall that person. Calamity befall that person. Abased and downtrodden as that person. So this is this whole ayah, this concept of uh, what we call tatfif. Huh? Tatfif means, so you can call it, okay, short measure. So woe to the givers of short measure who exact in full when others measure out to them but skimp in measuring away out to others. In this ayah, when you look at the scholars of tafsir, it has been taken first literally. Literally, when you're selling things like fruit that are sold by weight, right? That you fiddle with the weights. But it's also been taken generally. In fact, one of us, I remember, he wrote, Al-Tadfif, I can't remember which one, but Al-Tadfif of Fikulli Shaykh. That being unjust in measuring can be done in everything. That you want the wife to be the best wife to you, but you don't try to be the best husband to her. You want children to be the best children to you, but you don't try to be the best parent to them. You want parents to be the best parent to you, but you don't try to be the best children to them. This unjust balance. Expecting full from the other side, but giving less than full to the other side. You rent a car, you want them to give you the full tank when they give it to you. And you think, how can I skimp when I give it back to them? Instead of filling up at the patrol station closest to them, I'll fill it up two miles away from them. I will save maybe one pound and it will still look as if the needle is full. Ah, yes. Look at the calculating mind. Cold calculating mind. That's how we think. That's how we think. What I want should be ready on time for me, but I can be late for others. Yes? When he told me 10 o'clock, he should come at 10. I told him 10 o'clock, it's okay, I can get there at 10, 10. Not parity. Not having parity. Wanting full, full from the other person. And not even intending to give them your fullest. That's what it means. We want others to give us their fullest. We demand, we get upset when they don't give us their full. But we don't even have the intention to give them our fullest. 
don't. Oh, give you a few examples. One could go on about this whole separate. It could be a whole talk. How we do this. We do this so much. So much. We do it in the corporate workplace also. Those of you who work. You want your boss to do everything for you. You should get your annual increment. You should get your annual bonus. You should write a good annual employee report for you. Your career should progress on track. But as far as your duties to him, negligent. You like to surf and you like to email and you like to chat. It's not allowed. It's not allowed. Maybe I should explain this to you, this one thing. Because a lot of people have this misunderstanding. And I've noticed even many people, they do this at work. They're just emailing personal things not related to work. They're getting paid. If you assigned a contract that you're going to work 40 hours a week, and yes, it's understood you get one hour off a day for lunch slash whatever, personal break. So you assigned to work 35 hours a week. You cannot use that time in 9 to 5 to write personal emails. Even if you want to write an email on Dean to someone, you can't do it. You've given that time to that employer. There's only one way you can do it. That is that if the employer has not given you enough work to do, but then you have to inform the employer that, look, I agree to work 35 hours for you. Alhamdulillah, my capacity is more than you think it is. What you give me to do, I get it done in 26 hours. I've got time left. If you go to the supervisor and they say, well, yeah, I have nothing more for you to do. If they say that to you, then you can go back to your desk and you can do all the emails that you want. But if they don't know, they don't know, they don't know about your efficiency. You have to tell them. You have to tell them. Yes? Otherwise it's tatfif. Especially if the nature of your contract says that, which most contracts they say, full-time job, 40 hours a week. Or then they have even, I've seen in universities, the FTE, full-time equivalency. It's very much prorated per hour. But if you tell them that I'm free, I have extra time, and they say there's nothing for you to do, then you can sit down. And if you tell them two times, three times, four times, and this becomes the norm. So this is what the ulama of Asul said, al-ma'ruf kal-mashrut. That that which becomes established as a norm, then that's understood to be stipulated. Right? And then you don't have to keep asking of them. Now you've told them now it's their job. Next time they give you work, they should have given you more. If they didn't, then if you have free time, you can email. But not at the outset. Not just like that, that okay, actually I can, I can actually email people at work. Shouldn't be like that. Shouldn't be like that. That's also the faith. Here, I mean, this is a higher level to hold oneself accountable to. Right? So all who demand fair treatment beyond what they themselves dispense come under the import of this verse. That's the faith. That's what I was saying. They want the fullest, but they don't want to give the other person their fullest. The source of deficiency in veiling another's shame and of striving to display it is a hidden disease of the inner means it's one of the amraz kalb one of the illnesses of the heart. Namely, namely rancor and envy. This is hasad. This is hasad. If a person says, you know, I keep trying, I don't want to reveal the faults of others, but I keep ending up doing it anyway. So what does it mean the person has the illness of hasad? The reason they like to expose people's faults is because they're not happy at that person's achievements or virtues or accomplishments. They don't want that person to be known as a person of virtue. Right? And many great ulama in the past, they were faced with this hasad. Right? In fact, so much so that the Arabs made a proverb out of this. They said, Al-Mu'asratu aslul munafara. And some of them said, yes, that means that being contemporaries, 
is actually means that you will be <laughs> rivals. Hmm? Now they glorify this, they call professional rivalry. Imam Bukhari had faced a lot of Hasidin. Imam Ibn Taymiyyah faced a lot of Hasidin. Imam Munifrahmatai faced a lot of Hasidin. You look at all the great ones, you will find their Hasidin. You will find their history and you will find right along with it the history of their Hasidin. It's right there. So, Hasad. Hasad is a grave sin. Grave sin. So here Imam Uzzali briefly is going to touch upon this. For that heart that has envy is full of dirt. But they keep that dirt inside. They conceal it. They don't show it. As long as they lack a pretext. They don't have an opportunity to show it. Because they know if they just start mouthing off about someone, they will look bad. But if they get, when they find the opportunity, when they find the pretext, when they find the moment, then the restraint is released. The floodgates is released and all the negative feelings they have in their heart, they start spewing them out with their mouth. Like for example, Iblis. Oh, he had so much hasr for saying Allah Maksam, looking at him. Allah Ta'ala is making him. Allah Ta'ala is asking angels, do you know the names of things? Allah Ta'ala asks, yeah, they say no. Allah Ta'ala asks Adam Alayhi he knows the name of things. Oh, he's burning, he's burning, but what can he do? <laughs> what can he do? He had no opportunity, he had no pretext. How could he do something? Then when Allah Ta'ala gave the hukum for us to do, now he had his opportunity. Now he got a chance to show his hasad by refusing to do sadda to say Adam Alayhi So he did it. But before that moment, he was already burning, burning, burning. Like that is the person on this road with Hasad. Can you imagine what an evil it is that Allah Ta'ala in Quran has climaxed Quran with, with this evil. Min hasidin idha hasad. Ya Allah is such a big evil. I need you, the most almighty one, Al-Aziz, Al-Jabbar, you can protect me from this person. Ya Allah, this is makhluk, he's hasid, he's a person. Yeah, but his hasad, the hasad of the hasad, the envy of the envier is so evil, so evil, that you need Allah Ta'ala to protect you. Ya Allah. <laughs> you imagine how much evil there must be in it. Huh? So much evil in it. So we should think, if we have envy for someone, that Ya Allah, I've become so low, that I have that shah. If you have hasad for someone, that's how you should feel. That I have become that embodiment of evil that Ya Allah, you said in internal Quran that people have to seek refuge in you from people like me. We should never want to have hasad for a person. <laughs> because then we become a hasad. When we become a hasad, we are that person. Min hasidin iza hasad. We become that person. Oh, we're such a great evil. Can any of us think like that? That we could become so evil that people seek refuge in Allah from us? You'd be like, Ya Allah, I don't never want to be such an evil person that they have to seek Allah's help against me. But that's what we become when we feel even hasad inside. It's something about saying it. We feel hasad inside. Inside our heart. It's a big problem. Big problem. And you know, I'll tell you, the more accomplished the person is, the more hasad they have. It's strange. You would think, okay, maybe a person who has nothing, they would have envy or yam. A person who has nothing, they would have envy for others. No. Strange thing, the more a person has, the more envy they have for others. More a person has, the more envy they have for others. Because it's hirs. Hirs. The more they have, the more they feel that they alone should have. They alone are entitled. 
the more they have more things, the more they feel they and they alone should have everything. I don't want, to, I don't want anyone else to have anything. Anything. Gee? Well, let's just finish this paragraph. Uh, where were we? Okay, but when he finds an opportunity, the restraint is released. The reserve is abandoned. He stops his reserve and the batin sweats. This is the metaphor Imam Zahir. It perspires. You know, when you sweat, it's something, moisture is coming from inside to the outside. So he's using that example that the hasad leaks. <laughs> the hasad that was inside, the person starts sweating their hasad. <laughs> they start perspiring their hasad. The hidden dirt that was inside starts coming out. So whenever the inner is wrapped up with rancor, rancor is ghil and envy hasad. And then it is better to break off the relation. And what does it mean? It, what it means is, it means it's better to withdraw from that person. There's to keep meeting them and always feeling bad feelings, spite, hasad. It's better to pull back for some time, work on your heart, clean your heart of that hasad, of that rancor, of that envy, of that ghil, and then go back to that person. It doesn't mean cut off relations in a bad way. It means temporarily suspend relations in a therapeutic way for our Islam. And some hukama, some wise men have said that open blame is better than hidden rancor. They say hasad has so much evil that even ghibat openly critiquing someone, even that is less evil than inwardly harboring bad feelings for someone. And the only thing to soften the rancor is isolation. That you have to pull yourself away from that person, cleanse your heart, and then reconnect that person. If a believer carries in his heart a bad feeling towards another believer, then his iman is weak, his affair is risky, and his heart is dirty and unfit to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't have that kalbun salim. They don't have that pure heart. They have a heart full of hasad. Who had a kalb of hasad? That was Iblis. Iblis stood in front of Allah with a kalb full of hasad. We don't want to follow his pattern and also stand in front of Allah with a kalb full of hasad. So here we end on page then 41. Inshallah now we have Adhan. Uh, and then after 11 minutes, Ikama, Inshallah. And then after Asr Salawi, we'll zoom.